Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Nories Podcast. I am your host, James Enno, joined by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hi, everyone. It's recovery month. A little pink ribbon, purple ribbon, mm-hmm. and we're in Ballymun, the Axis Theatre, with Shawnee Kinsler. That's right. What's the crack, Shawnee? All right, James. You're looking well in your loafers. Yeah. yeah. You're only after back from a recovery run. Just back from a 21k run with um, all the services in Dublin for recovery month. So we do an event every year <clears throat> and it's the recovery run. So I was part of that this morning, setting it up and getting it organised, warming people up and just mm. having a get together basically. What kind of return up did you get? We got a good few, yeah. We got about 50 people That's all in recovery at different yeah. stages. Mm. Some early, some long time I just had a great bit of crack might be something that we can talk about down the line doing the same thing and maybe in Cork the run on the same day I might get something I could definitely yeah. get a few fellas going like that as well amazing I'd love yeah. to go down and do it on the day yeah. with, with ourselves we could badly do with a good jog anyway yeah. Johnny, if I'm <laughs> honest with you <laughs> <laughs> we go with a nice Louis pace 440 to me be handy for yeah. <laughs> I'd need yeah, yeah. i need it anyway but we have a, there's a recovery academy in Cork actually since only last year, but because of COVID, anything that they had planned was cancelled. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So um, definitely, like the importance of something like that can't be underestimated. Like before the recovery academy, or even though they're not doing anything at the moment in Cork, me and Timmy and a big group of us are telling you off camera. You know, we, we go to Killarney every you know a couple of times a year and walk through the gap. I don't know, it's about twenty six kilometers up a hill down the other side. We did Caron Tool as well, the highest really? peak and yeah, all. And lovely, yeah. 70 of us in recovery. You know, some crack mm-hmm. fellas that are still using, fellas that are multiple years and everything in between. between. But it just gives the fellas that are newly around or just kind of thinking about it so much, you know, encouragement and to think like that. Here's all the boys. Either I can relate with so much. Our blood sober in recovery mm-hmm. and the crack we're having. Yeah. That you don't need mm-hmm. drugs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a big part yeah. of it, like. Huge part of it. Yeah. Huge. Because mm-hmm. it gives them somebody to look at and it gives them hope, mm-hmm. yeah. which is what we lose when we're in addiction. Like we lose mm-hmm. that spark of hope. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. So mm-hmm. when we see somebody that's been through what we've been through and they're doing so well, it's like, you just think, oh, mm-hmm. we might be able to do it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> do you want to give us a small bit of background on yourself, Shani? Just tell us where. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. We know you're from Ballymun, but do you want to tell us how it was growing up? <clears throat> and um... So I'm from Ballymun. Mm-hmm. I was obviously grew up here. Yeah. I lived in Balbuja Lane starting off. And I have three sisters, one older, two younger, and uh, me mom and dad. And we lived in Balbuja, I think, for the first four years of my life. And then we set the flat on fire, set it ablaze. I was messing with matches under the bed. Mm. And uh, I was just that type of kid. I was mm. always blading that stuff. I was messing and, you know, just... So we set the place on fire. The whole gaff went up. So we no didn't hurt, No, no, no. We all got out, thank God. Yeah. Um, so then we had to move from there, obviously, to Shangan Gardens, which is down this end. And uh, that's where I started my life with me mum and dad and my three sisters. And my earliest memories of growing up are wet in the bed on a regular basis. Waiting on the outlet to come in mm. from the pub at half eleven after the last bus. <clears throat> and uh, I would have been around a lot of fear and violence mm. and other stuff. Yeah. You know, we just grew up in that environment. And uh, me, like I said, my earliest memories are 
I used to have the cracks in the hall. Mm-hmm. So we used to have to walk, we used to have to come out of my bedroom and walk across the hall to get into the toilet. And I used to know where to step because we didn't want to make any noise in mm-hmm. case I woke me dad. So that's how afraid I was. Yeah. So that was my earliest memory. And I started to, my first form I think of escape was I started fantasizing. So I used to like just go somewhere else in my mind when I was mm-hmm. lying in bed because I couldn't sleep. Um. And I think about like living in Black Rock or Fox Rock mm. with this lovely family and like mm. I'd have money and I'd be in a car and we'd be around these people that were happy because I was miserable. And I was six at that time, mm. six or seven, like I was only a young kid. And uh, so yeah, I was, I was, it was fucking, it was really difficult. I can relate. Isn't it sad to think? Like you said um, that you have a kid now, don't you? Yeah, it's three and a half. Yeah, can you imagine like your child Sit lying in the bed thinking like that you couldn't yeah. really because the life that you're giving your child mm. when they're very hard and they're very sad to think that there is children out there in that situation yeah right now 100 yeah. percent. yeah lots of them it's just the way it is mm. so yeah it was it was really difficult and when i think back it's really sad you know because with loads of ability and with loads of potential and i was a good kid but you know, whatever obviously happened. And uh, then we start, my next form of escape then obviously was, was smoking and solvents. Mm-hmm. And that's where we started to do to escape. Then as I start growing a little bit more, <clears throat> I started sniffing bottles of stuff underneath the kitchen sink. So glade, mm-hmm. other stuff. And basically that took me away from the pain of what I was living in for that few minutes so it'd be like I'd get an escape if you like which would bring me away from the bleeding you know the painful yeah, state yeah. I was living in and uh, and then that like that that progressed and we in school in and out of school so I was in school but I was never present in school I was a class clown and mm. um, I was always disruptive in school and I could just never be present. I was always thinking about what the lads were going to be doing later on the block. Was there going to be a robbed car? Was there anything happening? And I'd just sit there and I'd look out the window <laughs> and I literally learned nothing in school. Mm. And then I got suspended and suspended and suspended and then I got expelled. They got rid of me out of primary school. They just they just didn't want me there anymore. So I'll never forget the day that principal used to have to bring me home to the gaff. And it was the longest journey of my life going down to the house because I knew the outflow was in the house. Mm. And I swear to God, boys, I'd be fucking terrified. Mm. Literally shaking my in. But you know what? I couldn't help myself from getting expelled or suspended. I just couldn't. I couldn't be in the fucking school, like, you know? Mm. So it's, I took that journey loads of times down and as soon as the door would be closed and the teacher would go, I'd get it. Mm. And, uh so yeah, I was like, I, I, was, can, I can totally relate with that. You know, when I was in uh, when I was in secondary school, uh, I got into so much trouble in school. It was caused huge conflict for me at home with my mother, and no matter how bad I got at home, or how you know mm. beatings or you know how much hassle I got into, the next day I could be in, and the exact same thing would happen. I'd say something, I'd do something in class, yeah. I guess suspended again. And it was like completely related. What should I did? I it was like when I went into school, I, when I had to plan the uniform, walk in them doors, I just resisted it. Do you know what I mean? And I, I knew what was coming, but in that moment, you can't help yourself, do you know? <laughs> so it's fucking hell. And I can, you know, a lot of conflict at home and walking home. Walking in the door, you know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. In the door. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. come here, you. Yeah. You're going close to me like that. Yeah. It's like, no, if the dog do something wrong and he knows he's in trouble, you're come here, you. And he's coming over, yeah. and he's going yeah. down low, the low. It's a bit like that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it's shit. You know, it's, when you think about, you know, school is meant to be the best days of your life and all that and enjoyable, mm. but for a lot of people, school can be re traumatizing, you know, when you're coming from uh, troubled homes. Like, 100%. What you do then after that? So after that, we went to secondary school for, mm. I, I got into secondary school in the comp, mm. which is where I am now across the way here. And uh, I think I lasted probably six months there and then I just left, I was thrown out. And 
I think after that, I was getting into trouble with the police. I was robbing. I was getting JLOs constantly. I was taking drugs as well. And I was starting to, back then, what we used to call it was, I used to go out on go. So I would leave the house, I'd drop out the bedroom window, and I would go for like two weeks and I'd stay on the streets. I used to live in the pipe box in the Hedges Tower, which is the, where the hedge, Peter McFerry, um, had his first homeless flat for lads that were coming from really difficult backgrounds and I ended up on drugs at young ages mm. and he took them in. So we ended up on that balcony in a pipe box with a duvet and a pillow and that's where I slept. At the age of 12, 13? I would have been about, yeah, 12, 13, 14, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we were sleeping in pipe boxes and he used to come out and the staff used to come out and give me cups of tea. And the other lads, the older lads that lived in the house were really good to me. Mm. And they'd give me smokes and, you know. Mm. And after about three or four weeks, then he took me into the flat. And I was living there then for a while. And we on drugs at that stage, Sean? Yeah, I was smoking gear at that stage, yeah. yeah at the yeah. age of 13. 14. 14. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what, do you know at this moment in Ballymun, if you knew there was a 12, 13, 14 or sleeping in a pipe box with a pillow, like that would, yeah. like... This is not that long ago, either, do you know what I mean? But the thought of it happening today, or do you think that there is young fellas like that today in Ballymun, or do you think that that was a different time? Like, would social services, well, were, they, were they involved then, or would it yeah. be quicker to be involved now? I don't know about now, mm. because back then, it was a different environment. There was yeah. flats. It was, it was hidden. Yeah, so now, it's like you can't really see the problem. But I'm sure there's young fellas at that age experiencing the same thing I experienced yeah. with no doubt and maybe younger mm. possibly you don't really know until they start sharing their story in 20 years time exactly you know what I mean yeah so you, mm, they yeah, yeah they're just trying to survive mm. and they're trying to live and they're trying to stay alive basically mm, yeah. and deal with all of the stuff that's going on so um, so when you're when you're when you're sleeping in that place in, in the flats not in a flat but in a place within the flat complex um, it was probably inevitable you were going to get caught up in hair drugs. Guarantee. Yeah, sure it was going on around me. Mm. People were using... This was the 80s too, like, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It would have been the late 80s. 90s, yeah. Yeah. What year were you born? 1980. So it would have been the 90s. early 90s, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Early 90s, was, yeah. There were tough times up here in Dublin. Big like time, yeah. It was a massive team. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And it was really prevalent on yeah. in this area, especially... Like you had them, like it was just crazy. So yeah, we was fucking. Mm. And how did you, how did the heroin enter your life? Can you remember like when you first started smoking it and mm. can you remember being sick for the first, I can remember these things, you know, I remember like. Yeah, you know, yeah, 100%. I can remember like it was yesterday. Mm. Yeah, I remember. And I remember. the progression from the smoking to the injection <coughs> drug use and. And unfortunately for me, James, um, I was int I introduced myself to hard drugs at a really, really young age. So the progression for me happened really quick. Mm. So we didn't get any time in the dancing, going out, any of that. I didn't have that. So mm. I went straight from being a child into yeah. the, the, the dark side of into heroin. Into the dark side like, of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I went straight in, there was no... So around, around that time <clears> as well, culturally... We had the rave scene, ecstasy yes. and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't experience that. I experienced a little bit of it, but I wouldn't have been... Like, I was with the lads and we were smoking. Mm. While everyone else was going to Temple Theatre or Suez or the Asylum or mm. the Arm and there all these other places. And uh, I just I just didn't I didn't get it. Like, you know, I was, um, yeah. I like, was just... Flung yeah. into like if, if if heroin is your drug of choice at that stage, I suppose you're hardly going to drop the heroin to take a few ease. No, do you know what I mean? No, no, Th definitely not. There's no yeah. social aspect to heroin, you should no, know. No, it's isolation. Mm. And mm. but you know what? The early days of it were great, I have to say that mm. you know, because mm. I loved it. Mm. When you I say it, the, I smiled because yeah, I think it's I loved it. I loved the excitement of it. I loved yeah. it. Buying it and and like even the robin, the yeah the robin, the robin to yeah. get the money for it. Like yeah. I used to love that. I used to be holding my head fucking the knees, 
claiming into people's backyard and robbing their lawnmowers and their <laughs> strimmers like the way and get more money for drugs than it the following day. Yeah. I must have done that for twelve six months I'd say at least. I must have been buzzing for six months. Do you know until nearly fucking <laughs> killed us? Like I can yeah. understand it hundred percent. Even even up till the end of my using, like people saying, What the fuck were you what were you robbing for? Like you have rent, you have money. It was just I used to get this extra bit of a high off it. I, I don't know. I couldn't get I couldn't get the, the high off the cork, or the drink, or the tablets anymore, or even crack or anything like that. Or any of the other stuff. Mm. It was just I used to get it from the robbing, the snooping. It might be nothing, but I used to just get that extra little bu- bit of a buzz from it. Excitement, like, yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, and being with the boys then as well, and you know, yeah, and the ducking and the diving, and just, what the fuck? Yeah, Looking back, no, I'm saying, what the fuck was I up to, like? Yeah, but life is on the edge at every moment. It is, and when your when your life is drugs and you're getting your your kicks out of crime, obviously you're going to end up in detention, in prison, whatever. Can you tell me what your first time going into prison was? The St. Patrick's or Mount Joy and what that was like. Yeah, so my first introduction to that would have been a place called St. Michael's. So that was for really, really young kids that were in a lot of trouble. So we went there for an assessment. So they keep you in for four weeks and they basically assess you because we was going through social services. Mm -hmm. So we used to, the old Ballymun police station, I used to be up there late at night waiting on an out-of-hour social worker to bring me to a hostel in town to sleep overnight. So... Then I went to Michael's, after Michael's, I went to Trinity House, which is a young offender's home in Lusk. We spent two years of my life there from 16 to 18. And then when I got out of there, the same. I came out of there and just went, came back to Ballymoon, back to the same environment, start using again. And just... What was it like in them facilities? It was horrendous. Mm -hmm. I was bullied in Trinity House for two years. Were you sprouted by an officer or... No, or no, other, other kids that were there, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm a very soft person. Mm. And like, me ma and da, although we'd have, you know, with the upbringing that I had, me ma and da were really good to me. Yeah. And I got a lot of love off me ma, and mm. she taught me a lot of really good things mm. in relation to qualities. And I was just, I wasn't made to be in the culture and in the environment that I was in. Yeah. And mentally, it just broke me. Even then, when I was I was only like 16, and I was fit and strong. Believe me, it wasn't the, the fact that I wasn't physically able to manage myself. It was more mental, and it was more fear-based that I was just afraid. Mm. And I got the lads seeing that. <clears throat> they spotted that in me. Mm. And it's like, it's like in the world. If a lion spots that you're injured okay. or you have a little bit of a limp, it's gonna it's gonna focus on you. And that's what happened. I got we got bullied for I got bullied for most of the time I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sad to. when you think about you no know, kids getting bullied in school. Mm. So now you have your summer holidays, your midterm break, you'll go home after school, but in your situation, you were living with these lads twenty four yeah. hours of the day, three hundred and sixty five days a year. Yeah, every so, day. Like a you come out of that after two years, you know, I imagine the confidence, the self-esteem, all self-image is all very poor at that stage. Ah, yeah, 100%. Mentally, I was exhausted. I was literally exhausted. And I never forget, I used to lie in my in me room, in the unit, and I used to listen to Elton John a lot. I loved listening to Elton John because mm. it just took me away from... The music was an escape for me. Mm. And I used to dream again about it's going to get better. Mm. It's going to be all right. And I had to comfort myself because I had nothing else. Mm. And it was really difficult. Um, and, yeah, when I think back, it was just really sad. Mm. Really it's hard sad, to manage, yeah. you know. And did you come home to your mum's gaff? Yeah, so I came home to Ballymoon after that and I started using again. And then after that, then my mum and dad separated. My ma took me and my older sister with her. And my dad stayed in the family home with the two younger ones. Because, you know, mm. my ma was real soft and she just took care of me and my older sister. And then the girls were like daddy's girls. So yeah. we kept the two younger ones. And that was the separation. <clears throat> and that was the worst thing my ma could have done. Yeah. 
because she literally, you know, got a flat with just us two and it was like anything went. Mm. So the house was like, it was like Houston Station for addicts. Was your mother uh, in addiction too? She was, she was drinking yeah. and she would have been taking certain substances from time to time. Yeah. So yeah, she she would have been in addiction at some level. And were you able to use in the house then as well? 100%. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's just front goes. Goes with us saying, really, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, Cause yeah. Because you're both enabling each other like a death stage, you yeah, know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Ma was doing the best that she could. Yeah. And she was trying to give us what we needed. Yeah. And then, obviously, she felt guilty at some level that she had to leave the family home. So she had her own demons to yeah. cope with. Yeah. And she was hurting and she mm. was struggling with her own, yeah. you know, her own stuff. So I'm sure it was really hard for me, Ma, to manage. Mm, of course. And then she too, like, literally too adults, young adults that hadn't grown up yet and were actively using and robbing and the police were kicking the door in regularly and it was just, it was horrendous. Yeah, and when we talk, when we look back and talk about our stories, inevitably it's going to come up about our parents, you know? Yeah. And it's never blaming. Mm-hmm. No. You know, it's always like, they have their own stories and who who wants to be a parent and raise a child that ends up a drug addict and somebody goes to prison? Nobody. But it's just the way things happen. Yeah. You know, and it everybody would wish for it to be better, you know. But I still when I talk about my stories, you know, I've a great relationship with my mum and dad today, you know what I mean? And they gave me a lot of love and affection and attention and you know, it turned out okay, you turned out okay. So they did planted they they gave us that kind of good character yeah. or the the qualities like what you said earlier on, you know. It's just being able to navigate that. You know, and give you the smarts to navigate it. Yeah. You know, so it's just, you look back, it's never like, oh, it's my mom and dad's fault or it's Barry Munn's fault. It's not like, it's just, this is this is my story, you know what I mean? And yeah. It's, it's neither good nor bad. This is just facts, mm. like. Mm. It's a complete lack of education as well and, and understanding and awareness on people's, and, and there's no one to blame. If you, like, I hadn't got the awareness to know that I was doing wrong when I was fucking all over the place and I used to let young kids... I didn't understand the consequences of my actions would affect my child yeah. later on in life, you know. And I'm sure down the line she might come to me and say, Dad, you know, when I was small or three or four or whatever, this happened. You know, these are just things that we don't understand. And as James said, there's never anybody to blame. You know, sometimes you're merely lucky to have a really <coughs> difficult childhood or upbringing because it pushes you to develop yourself a little bit more and go on to some form of spiritual path or whatever and become more in tuned and find your authentic self and live a fulfilled life and feel and find <clears throat> a job that you like that actually works for you, you know? Sometimes I've often thought about, do you know what? No, if I didn't have that really traumatic childhood, God, I probably wouldn't have become an addict and I would have probably went down to be a right boring fucker that played golf or something like <laughs> yeah. that. No, no, no disrespect to anyone yeah, that plays like golf. golf. <laughs> Do you know, but I just, I just, like, I just can't, you know, I just can't phantom myself just doing things like that. It's just, I enjoy my life. I enjoy being 100 miles an hour, but not all the time. Yeah. Do you know, I do enjoy it. But, um, yeah, but I fuck it. I believe it. I believe that situations in our lives do push us into finding out there's more there there's yeah. more there like your own journey you know and, and my journey and James's and everybody that's here their own journey yeah you know but when we started to move around the small bit so you come out of the the, the barstools and the, the homes and you come back and you're using uh, in your mother's apartment your mother's flat um obviously trouble starts happening again because it's ha- hand in hand with addiction mm. Did, did you end up start going into the adults' prison then and that, that life began? Yeah, yeah. I was in Pats, Mount Joy, Weefield, Cork Prison. Um, I was in the mall mm. and spent most of my life in there, mm. in and out, because I would have been... <clears throat> in the, at the start, <clears throat> I got a long sentence when I was younger and then... I suppose as my addiction took hold of me, the the offences or the crime that I was doing was just, I was just robbing to feed me habit. Mm. Basically, I wasn't any big chase or anything like that. I yeah. was just basically robbing anything that I could to get the next few quid to get myself either a rock 
or a bag of bleeding gear or tablets or whatever it was he needed. So, and then prison was just part of that process for Like me. an occupational hazard for somebody in addiction. Yeah, 100%. So it was mm-hmm. like, and I used to come back to this area and luckily, I suppose, when I look back, luckily for me, I never lasted too long when I got out of prison because me using was so chaotic that I would just go back to using intravenously and I would go like bad really quick mm. and I'd be caught doing mm. something and I was never good at robbing. It was fucking a disaster. <laughs> Hence why yeah. I spent most of my life in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it sounds like prison was also that kind of saviour, that respite from the lifestyle. You know, if, 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 if you were that chaotic user, and I was one of them users as well that was chaotic, that if, I, if, if we did stay in that chaotic use for a, a good length of time, that the possibilities of, of overdose or death, you know, was there. But prison, it sounds like prison really kind of stepped into your life at the right times yeah. just to get you out of your environment, to get you some form of uh, rehabilitation Wonderful. physically, yeah. you know. Yeah, the break was was great. And the training, the field, the rest, it just it was just great. It just gave me that break that I needed and I could kinda have some quality of life, even though I'd no freedom. But I enjoyed being able to train and able to do certain things. And I suppose I just got used to not having freedom. Mm. It was just part and parcel of my life. It was something we accepted about the way my life was. It was like, I'm going to have to go in here and do what I need to do in relation to prison. And that's the way it was. And there'll be a lot of people watching this in that very situation. They're either waiting on a court case coming up or they're in prison because the podcast is shown in prisons now as Brilliant. well. So there's going to be some people, so many men and women will be able to identify with you that cycle of drugs, prison, getting out, uh, getting released, but having charges pending. So you know you're going back, so you don't give a f- fuck. And then, you know, uh, you have a small charge, so then you don't, you're going back anyway and you start picking up you know, all this mentality yeah. and not having the belief that you can actually be anything or do anything when you get out. That's a very hard cycle to break. How did you manage to break it? What what happened towards the end? Yeah, yeah. Um so what happened for me was I obviously started off using very young so by the time I was 19 I was introduced to recovery so one of my good friends Willa was in recovery at that time and other people that I knew were starting to get clean and it was kind of it was something that I seen and I didn't necessarily want it so when I was 19 I got clean it was my first time getting clean. And uh, I went to detox and then I went to a place called Keltoy in the Phoenix Park and I done my treat- recovery there, treatment. Stayed there for eight weeks in the Phoenix Park. It was blatant great. Mm. We had our own personal trainer, counselling sessions every day, massive field, lovely garden to walk around in. Mm. Like it was unreal. And I met a girl actually the first time I was in treatment. I met a girl in there from... She was a posh girl from Nice and I ended up being with her because um, I was a fucking, you know, I, I was doing stuff that you weren't supposed to do. They'd say, yeah. you can't do that. And I'd say, oh, I can. Yeah, so me and me and I remember kissing her near the end of me coming there and then I met her when we got out and I was in recovery for a year. I was, I was, I was totally absent for a year and I was going to meetings and I was, but I wasn't living a spiritual way of life. I was up to all sorts and I was causing myself and other people a lot of harm through my behaviours. And I was miserable. I was in a lot of pain. And eventually the time came where, I'll never forget it, I was walking through town one day, I was heading back to the recovery house I was in because I lived with a lot of lads. And I was coming through Fisborough and my mind just says to me, Shani, you should just get it back again now. Stop all this pain. And I just walked straight to the bus stop in Fishburg, got on a tour day and went to Ballymun. And I was literally sitting on the bus and I was thinking, my heart was screaming at me, mm. saying, Johnny, don't. Yeah. And my head was that, my head was that savage. And I just felt so bad about myself mm. that I literally just couldn't, I couldn't tune into that part of my soul that was telling me, Johnny, don't do it. And I literally sat on that bus with that and had that battle 
all the way to Ballymun and I got off the bus and went over and I scored and I didn't want to bleed and get it. I'll never forget it. I walked, I knew exactly where to go. I hadn't forgot. Knocked on the same door, scored a bag of gear, smoked it and that was it. I was back here, I wasn't for like nine years. Mm. Do you think the reason you probably didn't listen to this side of your heart is because outside of being away from alcohol and drugs, you were still had some behaviours that you knew were wrong. You know, you weren't on that spiritual journey. Yeah, exactly. 100% to me. Yeah. Definitely. You need to be, you need to be all in, don't you? you yeah, need to all, be in, all in. All in. All in. And I was trying to be, I was basically living against my values. And my soul was constantly saying to me, Shani, this is not right for you. Yeah. And I was just so, I suppose damaged, if you like, mm. that I needed some type of pleasure mm. to keep me going. So I was using all of this external stuff like sex, mm. um, clothes, escapes, different forms of escape, social media, whatever it was. Mm. I don't think there was social media back then. It wasn't big anyway. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I done. And then, you know, we would have kind of been good at talking about recovery. Mm. So I'd sit in meetings and I'd be able to quote different things and I'd sound really well in the meeting. Mm. But outside of the meeting, I was literally nothing. I had no, I'd no, I'd no real like growth, if you get me. Yeah. I was just like an empty vessel and I was like kind of shared and trying to keep myself going. Mm -hmm. So I was getting like two meetings a day I was doing secretary, I was like, I mean, I was doing as much as I possibly could. Sounds like me when I came back from France, when I was in treatment in France, it sounds the exact same thing. I was just kind of just doing it. I wasn't in it. I was just kind of basically doing it and basically dragging my arse along the floor, really, yeah. you know, with the hope that something might happen. But looking back now, I had a lot more pain to get into, like, before I was ever to get into recovery like I am now at the moment, you know. Mm. So when you spoke about there, um, going on the bus to Ballymore, knowing you shouldn't be doing it, you know, it, 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 it fucking conflicting, you know, you you want to get the gear, but you know, and the guilt that that brings up in your brain brought me back to multiple times I locked myself into a bedroom for cold hockey for all five days, and on the, on the fifth or sixth day, you're injecting the drugs yeah. and the tails are all down your face and you're doing it. Or you're smoking the tray and the guilt that you have. You're just out to put yourself through five days of hell. No sleep, shitting, fucking pissing and gawking. Yeah, and yeah. The, the insomnia used to drive me mad, the coldness in the body. You might get through that, man, and the sixth day then you're using. And just like, what the fuck are you doing? And I could, you know, brought it all back there. It's just a very, very dark place to be, you know. Um, and there's so many people like that today. Yeah. But eventually, I don't know what it is. Eventually, you'll get it. Like you know, no matter how many times that happens, sure, you have to keep going and keep yeah. going and keep going. And we all now I can get recovery first time around it all. And a lot of different treatment centres, a lot of cold turkeys relapsed every time. Went through that guilt over and over and over again. Back into prison, thinking, oh, here we go again. The same landings, the same officers, the same conversations on the yard. Same game of Dan, the same ham. <laughs> yeah. You know, the officers are getting younger, you're getting older. Yeah. You know, but eventually you'll get it. Um, and eventually you got it. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about how you got it, how that came about, what age you were maybe? Yeah, so I was thirty when I when I got finally got clean for real. Um and I think the process from when I went back to that time for the whole time I was experiencing like a four step in my soul where I was homeless, I was sleeping on the streets, I was like a down and out, proper down and out. And uh, and I that voice in my soul was getting louder. The worse I was getting physically, mentally and spiritually, the, the louder that voice in my soul was getting. And I was saying, Johnny, you need to do something. And it was like tug of war with that. And mm -hmm. then eventually, I turned into a real loner then later on in the addiction where I was just constantly on my own and I was really depressed and suicidal and uh, and lost. Like anybody that knows me, I'll tell you, they used to see me walking around with a bag on my back, on my own, just marching. Mm. And like I said, I was homeless a lot of the time. 
we lived up here to McFerry for a lot of my life. But there was phases in that where I was really chaotic, where I couldn't even live in his place. So at the end, I got this night in particular, I had loads of different, I had experience in Ballymun one day. With a couple of different big experiences that happened to me. So out here one day, I was selling stuff in the Towers pub. I was trying to get the money up for a rock. I was strung out the bits on crack at the time. And uh, a lot of lads that I used to score off, these were the boys. And they were only young, young kids. And I was like probably 28. And I was broken. And I was in the tower selling stuff. And one of the lads said something. And I said something back to him off the cuff. Didn't even realise what he said. And I went outside and the three of them came out behind me. And uh, they kicked me to a pulp for about 20 minutes. They kicked me from the towers over to here to the access centre. And uh, i never forget it. And every time I was on the ground, I'd get clamber back up onto my feet. And I'd go to run and one of them would catch me heel. And I'd literally fall flat on my face. And he built me around again. And it was just really humiliating. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that that experience of sitting on my own after that and thinking, this is not good. Yeah. Really bad, like. So that was one experience. And then the end of me using finished where both my sisters were actively using at the time. And they lived, one of them lived in a flat face in the old triangle and the other one lived in a flat in Fisbury, or in Drumcondra. So they were like, one of them was here and one of them was there. And I was homeless at the time. And they had their own flats. And I was outside the centre on Dorset Street. My sister's flat in, at the old triangle was probably like a two minute walk for me. My other sister's flat was a five minute walk. And I couldn't get myself up off the ground to go and ask them to help me. Or give me a cup of tea or give me a blanket or whatever. Give me a blade and a hug. I don't know. And I couldn't, I couldn't get up. I couldn't get off the fucking floor. My heart was broke. Because we don't believe we deserve it. Yeah. My fucking heart was broke. And, um, I suppose in that moment I realised that all of the stuff externally that we'd been doing and all the things outside myself were now used to me. And I just had this moment in my heart where I was like, please, God, help me. We beg you, help me. And uh, I think something happened to me that day or that night. And from that day on, then I started to ask people to help me. We started reaching out. We started trying to do stuff to enable me to get clean again. And that process was obviously long. But um, we was doing all the right stuff. And I was done. I knew my soul I was done this time. I wasn't, I didn't want to be living like that anymore. And I suppose I got that, I had that kind of moment where I realised that I was good. I was a good person yeah. with a good heart and I actually deserved better than what I was putting myself through. And, um, and that was it. That was the start of the recovery process for me. Mm. I was 29 then. Mm. And... I got into detox, thank God. Do you know when you spoke about the boys kicking you around the place? Like, I, I think I was telling Timmy a few weeks ago, you know, towards the end of the use and there, I become so frail that I couldn't defend myself. And I remember getting a few belts off one fella and I, I had two bags, you know, two cues in my hand, you know, and I was thinking about, like, I better not fucking drop these cues, <laughs> yeah. you know. But I remember being humiliated at the same time and coming away thinking, like, Stay you can't even fucking stand up for yourself, you know. And that was towards the end as well. But there is little moments like that. But you're getting closer and closer to recovery every time something like that happens, yeah. I think you're like, What the fuck are you doing? You know, it's so pathetic, you know. And we know we're better than that, we deserve better than this. We know deep down that we're good people and we deserve we don't deserve to be booted around like animals around the street, you know what I mean? And given a half a chance, we could actually do something with our lives. So the, that beating was probably they did you a favour yeah you know? mm -hmm. yeah it goes from like it goes from the beginning where it's fun the drug addiction is fun to where it's balanced for a while to where it gets chaotic and these episodes start happening like you know I remember being inside in the shed as well you know being locked in the shed my wife being inside in the house with the kids and I opened the shed and I 
just snorting cocaine for three, four, five days and just sitting there and praying, just praying to God, like, and just why is my life like this? Why can't I stop? I'd be praying one minute, then two minutes later, I'm in the bag again. And, you know, I'm taking tablets, then they, they put me to sleep and I'm back in the bag again. Like, it was just, it's just, it's just, it is the life of a drug addict, like. Yeah. There's no, there's no why or, or I can't explain it. It's just, yeah. that's what just happens. But going back, what happened, all these different things that happened. Like, that's one of the things I, I, I remember. I'll always remember that. And there's a few other things that really were the, the turning points for me. Like, just can't keep continuing. Like, you know, you're not just hurting yourself anymore. You've kids now as well, you know, and, uh, I got very emotional there when you were starting to talk about it because I could see the emotion in your own face, mm. you know, and 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 I could feel your pain sitting on that floor, that concrete floor, like and just trying to make pull this, this lonely feeling of yeah. just knowing that you're on your own this time and nobody wants you because you believe that nobody wants you anyway, you know, and and then to be praying and and, and our prayers do get answered. Yeah. Like, they're not going to take us <laughs> up off the floor and put us in straight into a lovely warm house with a few million in the corner of the room yeah. and just say, go on away and all about your business, you'll be grand. They're going to give you this little path where they're going to help you here, help you the next step and leave you grow slowly, mm. you know. Like, it doesn't become brilliant all of a sudden. There's certain points where we really have to learn and grow as human beings to be able to handle the next step in life, the next journey, the next traumatic thing that happened in childhood, to be able to deal with that. And that's the journey of recovery was, I was speaking to Willow earlier about, it, you know, and and, uh, and that's and that's how it actually works. Mm. It's not something like you win the lottery and you're taken off the streets. You're still left with all the mad stuff that we drink and drug on. But it's a journey, mm. you know. But you know, um, since the the drugs, the prison, and all that the sadness has left your life. Now you're in recovery. You now multiple years. You've got a kid. You know you're looking great. You know you're you know happy. And what's life like for you at the moment? Um, life's amazing at the moment, James. And uh, we've a full life. We've the most amazing life. Um. My story is really strange. I was in recovery for eight or nine years and I was really unhappy and I was suffering with my mental health. And I was trying to use recovery to fix that. And I was getting worse. And I was in a job that I hated. And I was in a relationship that wasn't working with my baby's mum. And... It looked like I was going to lose my marbles, to be honest with you. Mm. And my family used to be saying, like, are you all right? Because I wear my heart on my sleeve. So if you meet me and I'm unwell, you'll now be looking at me. Because I'm one of them people that just can't hide it. So these people were seeing this in me. And it was the same as the addiction that it slowly wore me out. And I was in my job one day and that voice in my soul was saying to me, Shani, it's time to get out of here. You need to go, man. You need to start living. And I turned 40 and it was like somebody came into the flat and pressed the switch on the wall. And I had this thought. I was like, Shani, you need to start living. And I basically done what I needed to do in relation to my mental health. Um, I went on, had to go on medication which is what I needed to do. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I needed to do that. And uh, I spoke with my doctor and he told me what I needed to do. And believe me, I was dying on my feet. And I was a long time in recovery and I was literally dying on my feet. I was so, so sick. And I had no peace. My relationships were all being impacted. And only for me, my baby, I, I don't know what would have happened to me. So I broke up with the baby's ma. And I left my job after six years. And I swear to God, it was like someone took a set of cuffs on me and sent me free. 
Durdu ya I actually done the same thing <gülüyor> as you. In in recovery I, I had to go to the doctor as well and and be put on medication, you know. And um because I was in the same place. I was six years in recovery, seven years in recovery and I felt felt like I just wanted to die. Yeah. I didn't feel I, I was doing all the right things. On the outside I looked like it was the perfect family and where inside I was I was just dead. I was dull. I still felt like it was no good and all these different things, but I I made a decision to go to a doctor. But from that decision doors opened up for me because I made I made a decision to start working with a psychotherapist at the time. And I started learning a little bit about myself, you know, and um I started going on different journeys in meditation and spirituality and I tried I went down the route of trying ayahuasca. I done all these different things. And that's when my life started to change. I started feeling love for myself and my family. You know, um I thought I just thought it was important that I come in and, and just let you know that Thanks I, I felt the the exact same way as you just because you're in recovery you still feel like shit yeah but what happened for you is you had to break away from that life and there is there are things that we're actually afraid to do as well in recovery like yeah. to break away from yeah, yeah. relationships and stuff even you know but you made a good point as well like life was too short to be miserable mm-hmm. in a job you know to be unhappy like Oh, a bit of a bit of peace and happiness and contentment and social welfare is better than being miserable on a seven <laughs> yeah. Yeah, job. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's that. We suppose that's the place I came to James and myself. That I was suicidal. Like I was getting suicidal thoughts, and uh, I was in the job one day, and I thought the last day I walked out of the job, I was sitting in a room in an induction with two people, and I, it was like your woman's lips were moving. But I couldn't hear an absolute thing. I was just, like you said to me, I was dull. Mm. Like my head was just just shut down. And I ret- retreat into myself. And I survive. And I can't be in relationships with people. I've no coping skills. I've nothing. I'm just literally sitting there. And I got up and I says, I need to get some fresh air. And I walked outside. And in the job I was in, there's a big huge running track. And I stood looking down at the running track and I had this thought. I thought, I'm going to tell myself, I can't do this anymore. That was the thought I had. And I'm 10 years in recovery and I thought, I'm going to get, I'm, and I'm the young, I'm my baby, Harper. Where's my tears? Can you use that, Willa? She's on your key ring. So, it's beautiful. That's Harper Lily. It's beautiful. So, she's the reason why, why I'm breathing. Mm. She's the reason why I change so much things in my life. And she's me happy. Mm. Simple as that. Without her, I literally wouldn't have anything in my life. And um, she taught me what... Uh, what love really is. She's lucky to have a father like you, believe me. Oh. Yeah, so, um, oh yeah, I walked out of the job, I resigned, and, um, and I'd nothing, with no income, with no money, I'd loads of bills. I got a loan for a car, 15 grand. I was in debt to me, rent. I'd literally, I mean, I was up against it. And I just thought, you know what, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about money, about loans, about bills. I don't care about any of it. We just want to be alive. And I want to be able to spend time with my baby and be there for her, emotionally be able to be with her and cuddle her and comfort her and just give her my time. And that's 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 what I done. We uh, made that decision for me and Harper. And, um, and I swear to God, my life since that, it's been like a dream. I'm not joking with you. Sometimes I'll be standing in the house in my flat or if I'm out running or if I'm out there on events and even like this morning with the guys, I'm like, is this really happening? Mm. 
I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking, is there someone going to knock the lights off? Yeah. <laughs> but the lights have been turned on. Do you know what I mean? The it's lights like, have been turned on. Because of because I was living in that state of darkness mm. for so long, when you're supposed to be happy and free, do you get me? Mm, yeah. It's like I'm kind of like now, what's going on? And I'm slowly, but surely starting to really get comfortable with living with me, recognizing that I have a mental health illness, recognizing that I need to look after my soul, look after myself. Mm. And then obviously in turn then I can I can be the best daddy. Mm. And I mean, my relationship with Harper is is priceless. Like she mm. loves her daddy. She cuddles me every time she sees me, she runs out of crash, jumps in my arms, daddy, daddy, daddy. <laughs> she kisses me, she comes up beside me. She always comes up beside me and she holds onto my leg and puts her cheek on my leg. She says, I love you, daddy. And I think that's what it's about. Mm. That's what life's about. Mm. It's about her. It's about having that connection. And it's not about all the external stuff. As long as we can have that bond with her, you know, everything else is like second to that. So yeah, it's amazing. My life is amazing. Mm. That's, I mean. And that's a that's a great way to finish. Zanana <laughs> talking, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks James. Thanks yeah. to me. Thank you. Thanks very much. I think you're just after opening up a lot of people's eyes that are going to be listening to this about what's really important in life. You know, it's not about the job. It's not about living in that miserable job that you dread going into every single day. It's about making that decision, you know, and feeling that fear that's stopping you from going out the door inside in that job, our relationship, and living for the things that you really care for, you know, and... um I got very emotional because of, because I have young kids as well. And I think I have a few things as well because I'm kind of caught up in the job as well. I'm starting a new business and it's taking up a lot of my time and my wife's time. And uh, my kids are a little bit older, but I know they're after getting all the love and care and attention that they needed mm. off my wife. Or I mightn't have been there as much as I would have loved to because of my own being caught up in addiction and, and in prison and different stuff like but. I know, like, what, how important they are to me, like, and I could see it in your face, the love that you have for that child, uh, and it's amazing, I just want to wish you all the best, Johnny. Thanks a million, Timmy. Thanks a million. Thanks, James. God bless. Thanks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.